You're listening to Popaganda, the feminism and pop culture podcast. On today's show, we're talking about gender dynamics that shape our film and TV industries. We've talked about indie filmmakers, women who are working really hard to create their own films outside of the male-dominated Hollywood system. But what is it like to actually work within that system? What is it like for the women who don't go the indie route and instead wind up working inside that boys' club? A good person to talk to about this is Alex Borstein. She's an actress, comedy writer, and producer with a long career in Hollywood. She's worked on all sides of the camera, as a writer for Mad TV, a producer for Showtime's Shameless, and currently as the nurse Dawn on HBO show Getting On, a really interesting comedy about the people who work in a rather rundown hospital. But Alex Borstein is maybe best known for her work as the voice of Lois Griffin, the mom on animated show Family Guy a show that we've written about many times at Bitch for its offensive jokes and what I would call demeaning humor. I called up Alex to talk about these contrasts in her work and what it's like for somebody who identifies as a feminist to be working within the world of raucous, mostly male TV comedy. Okay, so Alex, you've had a long and varied career in Hollywood doing voice acting and on-screen roles and everything from Mad TV to the Cartoon Network show Robert, Ro- Robot Chicken. Um, One of your first roles, though, I read was writing uh, for the WB show Pinky and the Brain and then also the Power Rangers. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Power Rangers was like the very first thing I did. I mean, there was one commercial I did prior to that, but I didn't make the actual cut. They shot like a bunch of us for this Bank of America commercial. And then when it aired, you just saw my shoulder. So (laughs) the very first thing I ever did that was kind of successful was um, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And it was like a voice playing the evil Queen Machina, and I got it by meeting a guy who did, he cast the voice Walla, which is like background voices for Power Rangers, and he was also a performer himself, and we met at the Jewish Community Center doing a play. (laughs) I think both an audition room and a Hollywood writer's room would be such an intimidating place to be. So I'm wondering, how do you feel differently about being in those like creative but often very critical places now after so many years compared to when you were just getting your footing 10 or 15 years ago? It's still terrifying, but (laughs) but in the best way. You know, I just went to Disneyland yesterday with my kids and my son, it was the first time he could go on Indiana Jones. And I love Disneyland. I'm obsessed with it. And we'd been talking it up and so excited. And he went on it and he was terrified. And he felt really awful about being scared afterwards. And I said, no, 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 no. Like fear is like the best part of life. Fear is what keeps you alive. Fear is what makes sure you, you don't die on a daily basis because you're not going to do things that are way too fearful, but it's exciting enough to keep life fresh. And that's kind of how I feel. I think that's what I'm addicted to about this business is being in a writer's room and having the bar raised and being surrounded by really smart people and constantly wanting to make sure you're on top of your game and then going to an audition and and you're on and that's it and it's do or die and there's just something it's like tightrope walking without actually feeling like you could lose your life (laughs) does is it the same kind of fear now as it was when you were first getting started or do you feel like you're what what you're afraid of or the way that you feel that has changed in some ways you're more confident. It's kind of like your sex life too as you get older, I think, as a woman. Like <laughs> in so many ways, you're so much more confident. Uh, you know what you do, you kind of know what you do best, and here's what I have to offer, and either they're gonna like it or not. So you're you're no longer fearful of 
am I right? And am I going to be rejected? But then there's this a different fear that sets in as, do I still have it? Can I still do it? Are people going to compare this to past work? And now I have something to be compared to. So it's different fear. Um, but I kind of like it. It's, I think it's fun. I, a lot of people don't, after they work for a while, they refuse to read for parts or they don't want to have to audition. They, they feel like they should just be offered things. And I don't mind auditioning at all. I get it. So I was hoping you could tell me about sort of what it's like to be in the role where you're deciding the shape of the show rather than just hoping you could land a role on it. I'll tell you, doing both helps. They each help the other. And it's eye-opening. Like, you know, when I, back in 2002, I was doing my own pilot and auditioning people for that. And that just kind of blew my mind open about really how the process works. And then Shameless even more so. Shameless really solidified you know, writing an episode and then being in the room casting other people for the parts you've written really proved to me that it has, it's nothing to do with you going in that room and being rejected. The second you walk in, you kind of know if the person's right or not for that role. Uh, There's so many people that would come in and you just knew, oh, no, 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 this is not a fit at all. But wow, they're super interesting for this other thing. And you keep them in mind and you really want everyone to succeed. Like that's what I wasn't aware of that you you want the next person that walks in the room to be perfect so that your search is over and you've, you're fulfilled as a, as a writer and as a you know, producer on it. So it was really eye-opening. I've always imagined the life of an actor to be filled with constant rejection. You know, where, like if you are doing it right, maybe you're going out and auditioning for lots of parts and you know, 90% of people are telling you no. So it's funny to hear that actually being on the other side of that made you feel better about the roles that you don't get it's just a question of something fitting right you know it's like trying on jeans really um there's lots of that you can get on and that will cover your ass but there's very few that fit just right and um but it is there is a lot of rejection there's definitely oh there's times that you just feel you feel like everyone else knows something you don't know you feel like you're old and washed up you feel like you're irrelevant Um, And then in one day, that can all change by booking something. For women, the second you walk into a room, the way that you look immediately is is probably, you know, 60% of whether you have a shot at this part or not. Um, Whereas I think for men, it's a little more, oh, if the part calls for a guy who's supposed to be a love interest for a main character and he's supposed to be sexy and a guy walks in, if you don't immediately find him sexy, there's room for him to be charming, be interesting, and have the room afterwards say, oh, yeah, he, he was kind of an interesting sexy. Um, whereas if a woman comes in and is supposed to be playing a sexy part, it's the second she walks in the room, many people are going to decide whether that is sexy or not, and she can't win it back. At least that's been the experience I've seen in the room. Um, so that's there's, there's a huge difference, I think, in terms of how you look on the outside auditioning, gender-wise. You You have to... You have to fit a mold um, physically, you know, in, uh, m- many more times than men do. Well, the, I, that's one thing I like about the the role you play these days. You play the nurse Dawn on the HBO show Getting On. And the show, it's like a really funny, dark show about nurses and doctors at this down at its heels hospital. And it's, it's more realistic than other 
there's I, I can't believe that like hospital shows are an entire genre, but there is like a genre of oh, hospital yeah. shows. And I think get I, I like getting on because both because it's not glamorous at all, the jobs that you're doing, and then also just the people on the show like I think look more like nurses and doctors actually look, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's no McDreamies on our show yeah. and um, you know, even Lori Metcalf's character uh, you know, sidles up to her character, Je Dr. Jenna James, Paul, one of the other doctors on the floor, she's, she's obsessed with and, and, and wants to win his favor and finds him handsome. But he's also like a very realistic Dr. Handsome. Like, you know, it's not like a, a supermodel wearing a lab coat. Um, and I love that too. I love that everything is so real and there's real faces. And, you know, our patients are elderly women, which are not allowed on television. Like, you know, Lori and Nisi and I are at certain ages that there's there's not that much room to play interesting characters. And I, I mean, every day I kind of wake up that I'm working on that and I can't believe, I wonder if it's a dream because it really is unheard of to have such a rich characters. We're not searching for love. I mean, obviously Dawn is always stumbling for a relationship, but that's not what it's about. It's not a show about finding Mr. Right. It's just real people who are three-dimensional characters. They're not just wet blanket moms or nags or... Um, it's just so invigorating to get to play her. So many of the roles you've done before this are like sort of over-the-top or fantastical things that you wouldn't see in real life. Mm -hmm. um, how's it feel to be playing somebody that you're like, oh, this is like somebody who could be a real person out there in the world. Does that... Do you feel a different burden or a different... Um, responsibility there? I do. I do on many levels with this show. This, it's, it's like the most amazing experience I've had as an actress. It's on all levels. The writing is so good. Um, the, the group is so tight-knit. We have very little time. We have so much dialogue. You know, our last season we shot an episode in three days, which is unheard of, and very little turnaround time. So, the burden of the pressure of wanting it to be great and live up to the writing and learn the lines is one huge burden. So there's constant fear that I would live in on the set, um, which was also really exhilarating. And then also she's so three-dimensional and she's so real and the opportunity to do that, I don't want to blow it personally to kind of do a disservice to that whole world of nurses and, and care and also, I don't want to blow my opportunity as an actress. You know, I really want to do it right and, and uh, you know, kind of show, show the world or whatever. Like, I can do lots of different things. I'm not just a sketch person or a voiceover person or, or a writer. I, have, I can do all these different colors, which has been, God, it's been so much fun. But, yeah, there, there is definitely a burden to, to get it right. You know, we have someone on the set who is our medical advisor, that we want to make sure we're doing things right. Would, this, would I really be doing this IV? Would I be doing this? Would I, does this make any sense? And they're very quick to tell us if something, they call bullshit if something looks fake or is not right. Um, yeah, so a lot of the work you've done before this has been voiceover work. And, of course, your longest running role is on Family Guy as the voice of the mom in the family, Lois. Um, and, I mean, I have, <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. I often... Uh, find the humor on Family Guy offensive. I'm not a big fan of the show. Yeah, and the show has often been criticized for jokes that are sexist and trans yeah. and transphobic. And I wanted to ask you, basically, like, what do you see 
as your role on that show as somebody who cares obviously about sexism in society and and identifies as a feminist what 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 what's your role there on that show and and what why does the humor often lean on um sort of issues that i find problematic you know i've both written for the show and i perform on the show and i have been in the writers room when a lot of the most sexist things have been pitched and it's hard. I'm in a very weird position because I love a lot of those jokes. I love a lot of that humor. I, you know, am a child of a Holocaust survivor, and I think some of those jokes are the funniest there are, and the Jew jokes and the anti-Semitic stuff and fat jokes. You know, I've always been a big girl, and it's really interesting that I do have these two sides. I love that getting on has women on there that aren't allowed to be on screen anywhere else, and it's pushing the boundaries for women and gender roles. And I also love Family Guy and Ted and A Million Ways to Die in the West. So that's one of the things I really like about, you know, Bitch Media and Bitch Magazine was the idea of how you can find a way to live in this world with all of these things going on around you and still maintain what you, what I believe is my core feminism um, and beliefs and, and what I'm willing to take and what I think is funny and what I don't think is funny. So to me, that's kind of part of the battle and part of the game of being a woman or, or anyone and living in this world and trying to make it work for you. Um, it's hard. It's, it, it's really hard for me because I feel like nothing should be off limits. Nothing should never not be allowed to be said, there's, but there can always be consequences for whatever is said. So it's tricky. I don't know if that answers your question. Well, yeah, I think that's the as the argument that a lot of comedians make that that they're like, I should be able to say whatever I want, and the response to that is always like, Yeah, you can, but we're also allowed to say whatever we want in criticism of that or in response Absolutely. to it. And Absolutely. that's something that's changed so much, I think, in our media culture is that now if there is what whenever there is um, a sexist joke or a racist joke on TV the the TV writers are going to hear about it because people are going to be talking about it on Twitter. They're going to be, you know, posting about it on their social media. And that's such a big change from what it was 10 years ago. And so I was wondering sort of what your experience is with that when you hear, do you hear a lot of pushback on Family Guy? And like, what do you do with that criticism? I do. You know, I wrote for the show for a long time and then I didn't. You know, I had had my kids and I took a break from being in the room for a long time. I'm actually going to go back this next season, I think I'm going to consult. And I love being in the room because I love the opportunity to weigh in on stuff. I also, you know, keep trying every season to pitch things to get on the air. You know, I'm trying to do an animated show that has a lead female character. It's been very, very hard to get something like that off the ground. And, um, but I want the same freedoms once I get there to be able to slam everybody that I can slam. Um, but would love to slam the patriarchy, you know, and, and play with a lot of that. Yeah, I know this is like, a this is kind of a, a tricky question, but I'm wondering like, so when you're in a writer's room and you're reading through the script and you come across a joke that you're like, this is just like, not a funny joke. It's punching down. It's sexist. It goes against my politics and my opinions. Like, how do you respond to that? As somebody who's a really funny person yourself, like, how do you proactively respond to that as a writer and as somebody who's involved with the show do you do you say I don't think we should use this joke do you say like I don't think this joke is funny because of such and such or do you like just let it slide and be like well that's not my job 
Well, you know, I'm so calloused and my opinion is so, I think from years of, of doing stand-up and being in writer's rooms, my my skin is very thick. So sometimes I'm not as offended by something as someone else is. But what what I do have is a very strong sense of what I call tonnage issue, which we say in the room. So if there's an episode that has Jew joke after Jew joke after Jew joke, and they're old and they're tired and we've seen it and it's cliche, that to me is offensive. I'm like, it's not funny. That's not funny. It's not a new or fresh way to say that. You know, if we're slamming the same celebrity, it's the same target everyone slammed, and there's nothing fresh or new about it, that's when I say, like, eh, cut that. It's not worth – that's just lazy. It's not funny. If there's something that happens to be sexist in a way, or if, if it's uh, a prostitute joke or making fun of a, a stupid woman or something, let's say, if there's some fresh twist on it or something that I find funny or see see the twist in it that I get what we're making fun of and who we're making fun of. For instance, if it's a character in the show like Brian is the dog who has a tendency to like vapid women. If what we're making fun of in the long run are men that like these vapid women, I love those kind of jokes. I love it. I love being able to slam that. So so I don't know if that answers your question, but to me if it's if it's a tonnage issue, if it's over and over and it's the same thing and there's more than one in the script and it doesn't there's it's not an intelligent or is interesting way to make that joke, that's when I'll weigh in. And that sometimes it doesn't mean shit if I weigh in and say, That's not funny. They might say, Too bad. We like it. Um, but that's usually when I pipe up when I just think it's or if, if it gets a groan. There are so many things that our table reads that are disgusting. <laughs> there are things in the room that are so vile that we areas we would play with and attempt and see is their comedy in this. And you know immediately at our table reads if if they get a groan, if there's no laughs, if it's dead silence, you kind of know what works and what doesn't work comedically. Mm-hmm. Um, and after something airs, you know, Twitter, that's where we find out if 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 it wasn't if people didn't find it funny then. One of the things that I love about, like, the character of Lois and why I love playing Lois is the show may have sexist jokes. The show may punch down. We also are kind of an equal opportunity offender, which I love. But I also love that I've been able to play a sitcom mother who likes sex, who has a dark underbelly, who can be vicious, can be friendly, can be loving, can be sexy, can be... A lot of those things on her terms, and that's fucking rare. That's really unheard of. And, you know, a lot of times you are just the voice of reason. You are just the moral compass, and you are left to kind of be the wet blanket in a way. As a sitcom mom or as a as a mom role? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so to me it's kind of like you got to take the good with the bad. If you want an opportunity to – to show some other colors for some other characters, you got to play in that sandbox. And you may you may occasionally get whacked in the head by a metal shovel, but I want to be in the sandbox playing. Mm-hmm. 
That was Alex Borstein talking about her career in Hollywood. You can watch her as Dawn in the HBO show Getting On. 